Well, before we do open God's word together and hear it read and proclaimed, let's ask his blessing once again upon his word. Dear our great and awesome God, we are so thankful this evening that you are a God who speaks to us. Lord, we confess that apart from your revelation, we could never know who you are, the greatness of who you are, and the glory of who you are. For you are not like us, you alone are God, the creator, sustainer of all things. Yeah, Lord, you stoop down so low to creatures like us, and you speak in ways that we can understand something of your goodness and of your grace and your glory. And Lord, your word says that in these last days, you have spoken to us in your Son, who is the heir of all things, the one through whom he created this world. And so, Lord, once again, this evening, as we gather in your presence and open your word, help us to hear, Lord, the voice of Jesus Christ speaking to us. And by the power of your Holy Spirit, would you create life in us where there is no life. Would you create and sustain and strengthen our faith? And may you point us, Lord, to your greatness and your goodness in the gospel of Christ. Hear our prayers for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, I invite you to turn in your Bibles to the prophet Isaiah. If you would turn to Isaiah chapter 50. In my whole congregation this Advent season, we're going through the servant songs of Isaiah, and there's four of them. Uh, that are beautiful throughout the second part of Isaiah. And this morning we meditated on this third servant song, which is Isaiah uh, 50, verses 4 through 11. It connects pretty well, actually, with even the catechism teaching about Jesus being our prophet. The second servant song, if you want to look there next time, at chapter 49, is especially about Jesus' prophetic office, how he's called from the womb and he's given a name. And the Lord prepares his mouth, it said, like a sharp sword. And uh, speaking of his prophetic role. Uh, but this, this one as well also hits the nature of Christ's uh, prophetic and, and sympathetic role as our great high priest. And so Isaiah 50, verses 4 through 11. This is God's holy and inspired word. Here the servant says of himself, The Lord God has given me the tongue of those who are taught that I may know how to sustain with a word him who is weary. Morning by morning he awakens. He awakens my ear to hear as those who are taught. The Lord God has opened my ear, and I was not rebellious. I turned not backwards. I gave my back to those who strike, and my cheeks to those who pull out the beard. I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting. But the Lord God helps me. Therefore, I have not been disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like a flint, and I know that I shall not be put to shame. He who vindicates me is there. Who will contend with me? Let us stand up together. Who is my adversary? Let him come near to me. Behold, the Lord God helps me. Who will declare me guilty? Behold, all of them will wear out like a garment. The moth will eat them up. Who among you fears the Lord and obeys the voice of his servant? Let him who walks in darkness and has no light trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. Behold, all you who kindle a fire, who equip yourselves with burning torches, walk by the light of your fire and by the torches that you have kindled. This you have from my hand, you shall lie down in torment. Indeed, this is God's holy word. May he write it upon our hearts this evening as we meditate on it together. Well, sometimes when you're reading the Bible, there are questions that are 
behind it texts that give rise to why it was written. And during the prophet Isaiah's time, there was a question that was on the hearts of God's people, and it was this kind of question. Uh, why can we trust God to be our helper? And that might seem like a very basic question to us this evening, but it is a question that we often wrestle with, especially in times of difficulty. Why can I trust God to be my helper? Uh, the people of Israel in Isaiah's day were weary because they were going through some very difficult and dark circumstances. They had been taken captive by foreign rulers, and they were sent to Babylonian exile for 40 years. Because as a nation, you might remember, they broke the covenant that they swore to God there at Mount Sinai. And so they were suffering some curses, some temporal curses for their sins. And they were discouraged. They were lulled. They were wondering that God had forgotten them. We see that in the previous chapter, in chapter 49, 14, we read these words. Zion said, the Lord has forsaken me, and my Lord has forgotten me. Well, the Lord in Isaiah especially in this portion, takes three chapters to answer his people's cry of feeling forgotten. And he wants to show them that he is a God who can be trusted. He's summoning them not to put their trust in the vain idols of the world, but to rely upon the Lord. In Isaiah forty-nine fifteen, God says, Can a woman forget nursing child and not have compassion on the son of her womb? Surely they may forget, yet I will not forget you. In the day for the church of Jesus Christ today, sometimes as God's people, we could come to church also feeling tired, also fearing weary. Like Israel of old, we could wonder if we uh, can trust God truly to be our helper this side of heaven. And this servant song here in Isaiah 50 uh, is calling us to put our trust in the Lord. Verse 10, it says, Who walks in darkness and has no light? Let him trust in the name of the Lord and rely upon his God. And in this song, brothers and sisters, we see three reasons why we can trust God to be our helper. And the first one is this, in verse 4. Why can we trust God? Why can we trust Christ to be our helper? Verse 4, it's first because he knows how to minister God's word to us. Because he knows how to minister God's word to us. If you're looking at this servant song, each one of these points begins with this phrase here, the Lord God, the Lord God, the Lord God. And the first clear thing that the Lord God does here for the servant, he says, he has given me the tongue of those who are taught. In other words, this servant is a fellow disciple in the word of God. He's learned from God the word and he's been faithfully taught. You might call him a disciple or a scholar. And as we think about this as New Testament Christians, uh, we remember our Lord Jesus learned uh, from his Father the things necessary to be our Messiah. The New Testament tells us in Luke 2:52, Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God. When Jesus was taught by his parents, no doubt the Old Testament scriptures as a young boy, we're told in the New Testament how Jesus was in the temple at a very early age, engaging with others about the word of God. He grew with the names of the Lord. But here in Isaiah, we see one of the main ways that Jesus was taught. The servant here says, He awakens me, morning by morning, he awakens my ear to hear as to learn it. What a beautiful picture. God awakening Jesus, morning by morning, to be taught 
to be grown, even the things concerning himself, even in his mission and what he should do. You know, sometimes children who are going to school, right, uh, are greeted by their teacher, and the teacher tells them, you know, this is not class today. We're going to learn about, you know, this subject, this topic, right? And that's the same kind of picture that we see here with our Lord Jesus. Morning by morning, the Heavenly Father coming to him in his life, opening his ears to give him understanding. Indeed, throughout his life, Jesus spent intimate time of communion and fellowship with his Father as he was discipled in the scriptures about his mission. And notice the reason, verse 4, notice the reason he was taught. He says, so that I might know how to sustain with a word him who is weary. We see here this servant is trained in the scriptures so that he could speak the words of comfort and blessing to those who are weary. Isn't it amazing how people could be comforted and strengthened simply by words? You know, think of the strength a weary soldier receives when he gets that letter from overseas from his family or from his children, and, and he's strengthened by the words that you could read in that letter. You know, think of those times in your own life when you were going through a difficult time, and maybe somebody sent you an email or wrote you a card or sent you a text, and, and, and maybe they just spoke to you the words that you needed to hear at that time. And it gave you encouragement and strength. Well, here we're told that the servant, Jesus, the words that we speak to us are life-giving words. They're fresh words. They're words that are always in its season. And sometimes today in our, in our culture, especially with social media, sometimes our words are a little bit superficial and cliche. Because we don't always know people very deeply, and sometimes the words that we offer to them are disconnected from what they're actually going through, the depths of it. But the difference with Jesus is that the words that he speak, speaks comes to us knowing who we are, knowing the core issues that we're going through, knowing even the questions and the doubts and the fears that are on our hearts. His words then get to the very heart of what we're going through. And you see this with Jesus' ministry. In John 14, he, he sees the anxieties of his disciples and how they're troubled about his departure. And Jesus says to them, fresh words, let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God and believe also in me. In my Father's house, there are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? He says to a discouraged woman in John 4, I am the living water. Perhaps most famous, Matthew eleven twenty eight. Jesus says, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Fresh words, life-giving words, healing words that come from this servant of Jesus. And so why can we trust Christ to be our helper? The first reason is he is a fellow disciple who knows how to minister to our hearts in a way that no one else can. He sees through the confusion that we often feel and to the core issues that we face, and he's able to speak to the very depths of our heart. And this is also an encouragement for us as believers who are called to be disciples of Jesus, right? United to this great servant by faith, we are called, like the servant Jesus, to pray as well that God would have opened our ears, that morning by morning he might teach us and give us wisdom in his word. Give us the right words to speak to the weary and hurting people around us. To the friends, to the co-workers, to our children, to our spouses, 
to those who need to hear a word in season. Proverbs 25, verse 11. Like apples of gold and a setting of silver is a word spoken in the right circumstance. And so that's the first reason, because this servant knows how to minister the word of God to us. That's one reason we are called to trust God. Second, verses 5 through 6. This servant also knows how to walk on the path of costly obedience. He's not only a fellow disciple, but he's a fellow sufferer. Notice verse 5, we read about a different kind of opening of the year. This opening of the year is for the sake of obedience. The servant says, I was not rebellious. I turned not backwards. Notice the servant is portrayed as one who is faithful, faithful at following orders. He, he follows the Lord God faithfully and continually, never straying to the left or to the right. And this is not only when things are going well in his life, but he says this is what he did also in suffering and in difficulty. Verse 6. He says, I gave my back to those who strike and my cheeks to those who pull out the beard. I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting. Notice, beloved, this servant willingly offered himself over to suffering. And this is not suffering because of the wrongdoing of this servant or because he merited it in any way. But this is suffering that he is willingly taking upon himself for the sins of his people. And that's what we'll see actually in, in chapter 53, the great servant song at the end. But even here we see the sufferings of our Lord Jesus. Things that are actually fulfilled in the New Testament concerning what Jesus went through. We read here of, of backlash. That's judicial, you know, flogging of someone, of, a, of an evildoer. We read here of something more torturous and grotesque, but the pulling out of someone's beard. We read here of personal humiliation. The servant speaks of shame and disgrace and, and being spit on. And he imagined those things. We're not yet again given the reason why this servant is suffering. Throughout the servant songs of Isaiah, he gives us more and more details as the songs unfold. But here we see what Jesus went through for us as a sufferer. And this would have comforted, no doubt, the people of Israel in Isaiah's day and their affliction and in their suffering. Here's a servant who knows difficulty, who could understand darkness and suffering. And again, as Christians, we see in this servant song our Savior describe even what he went through for us. Jesus willingly giving himself over to disgrace and to humiliation and to suffering, especially at the cross, so that we might be saved. What does all of this tell us about why we can trust God to be our helper? Well, here it is a Savior who understands suffering. Jesus doesn't float above the suffering of this world like Buddha. He's not disconnected from reality. He doesn't pretend that suffering is just an illusion that we have to overcome through higher thinking. No, here is a servant who has experienced in his own life unimaginable suffering in body and in soul, not only to identify with us, but more importantly, to conquer our enemies, to conquer sin, and Satan, and hell. And therefore, when this servant speaks words to us, there's actually weight to them, because he has experienced the things even that he says. 
right? When someone speaks to you out of their experience, you want to listen to that. When Johnny Eggerson Tata, a quadriplegic, speaks from her wheelchair on the sovereignty of God, you want to listen to her. While I lived in San Diego, I heard uh, Nick, man, who's butcher his last name, uh, Bochasik, uh, a man born with no arms and with no legs. But I heard him speak in San Diego on, on embracing the limitations that God gives to you and living out the purpose that he puts on your life. You know, when people like that who will speak all these topics from their experience, you want to listen to that. Well, Jesus speaks words to us as one who understands, as one who could sympathize with us as our great high priest who has learned suffering in his life. So that's the second reason why we are to trust God. Here's another reason connected to that, verses 7 through 9. Uh, this servant, he knows how to persevere through afflictions. He knows how to persevere through affliction. Notice verse 7, his determination. But the Lord God helps me. Therefore, I have not been disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like flint, and I know that I shall not be put to shame. Again, here we see the determination of the servant, even in his suffering. He says, I have set my face like flint. And as New Testament Christians, that should make our ears burn a little bit, because that is what Jesus says in Luke 9, 51. You remember that great turning point in the gospel when he's going to go to Jerusalem. Jesus sets his face like flint, and he's determined in his mission. Right, flint is a hard, sedimentary rock used to you know, manufacture tools during the Stone Age. And that's why it highlights here the determination of this servant to carry out his mission. Jesus said again, No one takes my life from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it out again. How can this servant persevere through such awful affliction? The backlashings, the pulling out of the beer, the public disgrace and humiliation. How can this servant willingly go through that? Well, he tells us in verse 7, The Lord God helps me, therefore I have not been disgraced. Ultimately, he's saying, I will not be put to shame. I will not be seen as false in the eyes of the world because the Lord God helps me. And notice verse 8, He who vindicates me, is near. To vindicate means to clear someone of blame or suspicion. To vindicate means to prove that someone was actually right. And Jesus here is saying that although he's going to suffer, although he's going to be disgraced, although the world is going to humiliate him, he will not ultimately be humiliated because he will be vindicated in the end. He will be clear his name. He will be shown to be who he is, the righteous son of God, the savior of the world. And that's what God did when he raised his son from the dead on the third day. He vindicated it. He showed that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And so Jesus here, even in this servant song, uh, you know, has this, this declaration in this courtroom setting it. He says, who will contend with me? Let us stand up together, right? Step inside the ring. Uh, who is my adversary? Let him come near to me. Behold, the Lord God helps me. Who will declare me guilty? You see here this servant challenging, right? This adversary to come. No, the Lord God will vindicate me. None could show me as false. And none could charge me as guilty. Again, the confidence that 
the servant has to hear is in the Lord God who helps him. He doesn't have to defend himself, but he can suffer even unjustly for a time, knowing that God will declare him righteous in the end. Now, how does that truth help us to trust God? Well, the New Testament shows us that this is actually our confidence if we are united to this servant Jesus by true faith. As you hear those questions from Isaiah 50, they should sound a little bit familiar to you as a Christian. In Romans chapter 8, verse 33 and 34, we hear echoes of similar questions that point to our confidence in Christ as those who are united to him by faith. In Romans 8, 33, we read this, Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies who is he condemns? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who's at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. And in Christ has secured us in God's love so that we could have the same confidence as this servant here in Isaiah 50, that even in our trials and tribulations and suffering, we could know with confidence as well that nothing will separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And that is good news for every child of God, that when we are going through suffering, when we are being afflicted, when we are weary, when life is draining, when things are heavy, we can have confidence as those united to this servant that nothing will separate us from the love of God. And so why can we trust the Lord to be our helper? He knows how to minister God's word to us. He has suffered like us. He has suffered for us. He has secured us in God's arms. And so this psalm concludes, notice, with a summons to put our trust in the Lord. In each one of these four servant psalms, there's this tailpiece at the end, a bit of a conclusion. And this ending here is a summons to put our trust in God. There's one final thing that we see here. This servant, he knows how to walk with us in the darkness. Notice the tail end, verse 10. So who among you fears the Lord and obeys the voice of his servant? Just notice first there that the fear of the Lord is on the same level as obeying the voice of this servant. Right? This servant, Jesus, is equal to, to being fearing of the Lord because he is God the Son. He is the eternal Son of God who came down to save us. But then he goes on here, let him who walks in darkness and has no light trust in the name of the Lord and rely upon his God. Dear Church of Jesus Christ, you and I could find ourselves walking in darkness. Uh, darkness here, I believe, doesn't primarily highlight, you know, unbelief or spiritual blindness or rebellion. But the darkness here refers to the circumstances of our own lives when the darkness sets in for a season and God in his wisdom and providence permits us to go through various trials, various kinds of darkness. You know, I think of Job who lost everything, not due to his unbelief and rebellion, but because of the sovereignty of God. Uh, Calvin writes, the darkness here is the afflictions by which the children of God are almost always overwhelmed. Darkness can be social isolation. 
Darkness can be sudden loss. Darkness could be the wayward child. Darkness could be tragic illness. Darkness could be the loss of a job. Uh, this is the kind of darkness that can shake our faith and maybe cause us to lose some assurance of God's fatherly presence. Uh, to quote from your own Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 18, verse uh, section 4, uh, notice what it says here about our assurance as Christians. It says, True believers may have their assurance of their salvation in diverse ways shaken and diminished by falling into some special sin, by some, by some demon or sudden temptation, or by God's withdrawing of the light of his countenance and suffering even such as fear him to walk in darkness and have no light. And say it. Yet, they are never utterly destitute of that seed of God and life of faith, that love of Christ and the brethren, that sincerity of heart and conscience of duty, out of which, by the operation of the Spirit, this assurance may, in due time, be revived, and by, and by the which, in the meantime, they are supported from utter despair. You see that? We too can find ourselves walking in darkness in this life. And here at the end of this third servant song, work, we're told there's two different ways to handle the darkness of this life. One, you could light your own fire, and try to walk by its light, verse 11. In other words, you could look to the world for solutions, for comfort, for meaning. There are many so-called lights out there that you could try to live your life by, but the prophet Isaiah here says, this servant, they will all end in death. Or the second way to handle the darkness is that we could trust in the name of the Lord and rely upon God. And the servant song, the third one, is telling us that is the better way. That is the better way to trust in God. Why? Because Jesus knows how to minister to our weary hearts. Jesus knows how to walk with us through suffering. Jesus knows how to bring us through the darkness. Because he has gone through a darkness that is far blacker than anything we will ever face. The outer darkness of hell itself descended upon Jesus when he hung on that cross, bearing all of our sin and shame, because God's judgment and wrath was poured out upon his son. And the darkness set upon Jesus at the cross. And he experienced that for us. He went through it for us. He conquered it for us the third day. Therefore, we can call upon him and know that he will be our helper in the dark circumstances that we're going through. This song begins with a servant who has a word for the weary, and it ends with this comfort for all who are walking in darkness. Therefore, who of you today walks in darkness but has no light? Trust in the name of the Lord and rely upon your God. Fall upon your knees before Christ, for he is that child of light who came into this dark world to save us. And now he is the king of glory at God's right hand. May he be our strength, and may he continue to minister to our weary hearts his work. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your own dear Son, Jesus Christ, and we confess that he alone is the light of the world. Lord, in your sight you have overcome the darkness of sin and death and hell. 
And we thank you that even now, as the Apostle John tells us, the darkness is passing away and that true light is already shined. Lord, continue to shine the light of your gospel and your grace upon us. Help any who are here, the Lord, who are walking through difficult and dark seasons of light, uh, to see the light of your face shining upon them, and by your Spirit, Lord, to hold fast to Christ. May you walk with them, Lord, uh, through the sufferings, through the afflictions. Be their strength. Minister to their word, to hearts your word. And continue, Lord, to lift up our eyes to Jesus Christ, who is on the throne, knowing, Lord, that if we belong to him, indeed not you will ever separate us from your love. Father, strengthen our faith. And for those who do not yet have this comfort dwelling in their hearts, Lord, continue this even Advent season to open the hearts of many, Lord, to trust in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for their salvation. Hear our prayers. For Jesus' sake, amen.